Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half-Full Editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Wonkirch. Keeping cool, Noah? Trying, trying. Um, it is, uh, I'd say, cocktail time of year, where I uh, depend upon uh, the cooling nature of uh, different drinks. Mostly to, rum, right? Mostly rum. Is it? Let's, let's be honest here. It is, it is usually rum. <laughs> um, and uh, of course, later on, we'll even have a special guest to talk about rum cocktails and rum cocktail innovations. But um, it is rum season for sure this yeah. summer. And, you know, I think for so long, when you'd say, oh, I want a rum cocktail, right? You'd go in and it would either be rum and Coke, right? It would be a uh, frozen daiquiri, um, I mean, more recently, the mojito, and then for a long time, whatever went for a pina colada. I mean, that's sort of a... Uh, that, that's a pretty broad field right there. <laughs> that's a, yeah, a lot of sins covered by yeah, the term pina but, colada. But yeah, but essentially those know. four drinks, and even the mojito was a real revelation about, I'd say about a decade ago when, you know, it sort of reappeared, in, at least in New York, and people were drinking it. I started drinking rum drinks and sort of... I guess you could call them the Hunter S. Thompson years, you know, when when uh, you would uh, want to drink uh, huge pina coladas and keep them coming and oh, then yeah. have some shots of mezcal on the side and then step outside for a little of this and a little of that. Because you could still stand. Yeah, well, that was a point of honor. You had to still be able to stand, uh, although often you only thought you were standing. <laughs> but, uh, Floating out the yeah. door. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those the, the rum drinks were pretty pretty basic. In the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean. Yeah, and I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this on um, a few podcast episodes ago, but kind of how rum is sort of coming to its own and it's gotten mm-hmm. a little bit more respect from, for better or for worse, from the different, you know, you know, drinks geeks and whiskey geeks. And it's sort of being taken a little bit more seriously mm-hmm. today. And I mean, I think that is, you know, a good thing, you know, when it comes to cocktails, because you know, we're starting to see it in, in all types of drinks. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's, it has the force of novelty right now because yeah. uh, uh, the idea of quality Epicurean rum drinks sort of died with the, uh, with the death of Tiki in the sixties. Yeah. And, you know, Tiki never did anything to make itself a home movement. Right. You're supposed to go into those bars and drink those drinks. They kept those recipes pretty secret. And even if you know the recipes, yeah. I mean, they are so complicated. And, they weren't going to help you find those no, rums either. No, or all the tinctures and <laughs> yep, different yep. syrup. I feel like rum has kind of played an interesting role in drinks history where it's kind of the pinch hitter, right, coming off the bank. You know, during Prohibition, mm-hmm. everybody's drinking rum in Cuba and other places, right, where it's being made. They're, you know, they're leaving the country, obviously. They, yeah, plus they're smuggling it in in absolutely right. massive amounts. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was close by, yep. you know, 90 miles or yep. so to Cuba. Um, all over the Caribbean, you know, there's plenty of rum coming in. And then, you know, even after Prohibition's over, whiskey is still relatively hard to come by or good whiskey. It was a lot of these, you know, buy a case of rum, get a bottle yeah. of, like of good particularly, whiskey. Particularly during World War II when oh, uh, for sure. the whiskey was so tightly allocated. I mean, even Trader Vic used to, uh, to get whiskey uh, because even though he had tropical bars, his customers were servicemen who still demanded whiskey, he would have to buy so much rum that he just put the uh, cases of rum 
planes to the latest island that was conquered and address it to right. the officers club there. Right. You know? right. like, <laughs> he had more rum than he could do anything right. with, you know, and, and he was in the business of selling rum. And you see, I think it's during World War II that like Coca-Cola makes like a commitment to the servicemen. I remember reading yeah. this in our colleague Wayne Curtis's fine book um, and a bottle of rum. We use a whole section about the rum and Coke. And during mm -hmm. World War II, Coke makes a commitment that it's never going to charge more than, I think, a nickel, right, yeah. for a bottle. There's like, you know, a whole song that becomes a craze, you know, about rum and Coke. And it becomes like yeah. the drink because A, rum is plentiful and B, yeah. Coke is plentiful. So, you know, it becomes the drink, you know, on bases all over the Pacific and, you know, back home too, obviously. And I mean, it's also it's one of those drinks that the basic drink is fine. You know, it's not exciting, but it's absolutely fine. And then uh, with just a little bit of care, like you muddle half a lime right. in and uh, you use a better grade of Coke, uh, like the, the Mexican oh, Coke. Oh, yeah, sure. And suddenly this thing, you're going, wow, no wonder everybody was so into this. And, and, and the difference between Mexican Coke and American Coke is what? It's that it's made with cane sugar? Cane sugar and not high fructose corn syrup. And it is available at least once a year in America, usually for Passover, where yeah. Coke does a special one because... You can't have corn or, you know, most uh, Ashkenazi Jews don't have corn. Sephardic do. So Coke and I think Pepsi also do like a cane sugar version that's available during Passover. So if you really like that, you could totally stock I'll up. I'll just go to William Williamsburg right. and, you know. <laughs> or any supermarket really yeah, in New yeah. York <laughs> and get, you know, a case of um, Coke. It's clearly marked. Um, and obviously now you can get things like Mexican Coke yeah. in specialty markets and and. You know, bartenders love that. It does make a real difference in, in the flavor. And, I mean, it is a natural mixer, but also ice. Yeah, exactly. Is the difference between the rum and Coke and the Cuba Libre the, the lime, or is that like, or is there really? I don't think there really is yeah. a difference. The yeah. lime is an Epicurean touch right, that exactly. is actually uh, well worth the effort. But sure. I think most people didn't really bother, particularly during World War II. Yeah, I don't. But, uh and, you know, when I remember in the uh, playing music in nightclubs years of the late 70s, early 80s, I don't think I ever saw a line uh, anywhere near Coca-Cola right. or anything named Coke. It's funny because it's one of those drinks that everybody knows. You can make it at home, right? It's mm -hmm. two ingredients. I mean, now the whole thing about two ingredient cocktails, I think yeah. the rum and Coke has to be one of either the most popular or one of the most popular two ingredient drinks. I saw a statistic recently where it's six million of them are served every day around the world. And I mean, to be honest, that may even be light. That I mean, sounds light to me because, <laughs> you know, how many billion people are there right, exactly. There in the world? And, you know, that's a pretty easy drink. Well, it's also the type of thing where Coke is pretty much available all over yeah, the world. And I think like rum is made throughout the world. Right. Like some NGO was studying how. You know, the fact that Coke has this amazing distribution network around the world. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to, like, piggyback off of this distribution channel to, like, send out medicine and all types of things to all these remote villages, like, all over the world. Because if Coke could yeah. get there, then it could. Then sort they of, could, they right, could fall, exactly. right. <laughs> so it's one of these things where, <laughs> you know, Coke is truly global. Rum yeah. is now truly global yeah. and, and has been for a long time. So. I don't. I can't think of another drink that is that universally loved, you know, around the world. I'm 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 having a hard time, you know, thinking of one that you know, alcoholic <laughs> beverage. Right. I mean, 
coffee, man. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's maybe even more popular in coffee. Like, I mean, it's it's almost <laughs> neck and neck. Unless, well, I don't know because that you got to leave Italy out of the right. equation there because I think they probably drink more coffee per capita and drive up the uh, the world coffee consumption. That's by true. A factor of ten, but uh, <laughs> I think it's cool to be now because we see rum almost finding its way into a lot of other drinks like you know into even classic whiskey drinks yeah. right where well it's it's the return of kinds of rum right you know because in the in the by by the end of the you know the the sort of the the disco era rum was reduced to white rum right gold rum which exactly. nobody knew what made right. a gold rum and then uh dark rum right and spiced rum Right. And that was it. If you were lucky. I mean, it, yeah, um, if you were lucky, I mean, you would have that kind of selection. dark rum was always hard to find. Yeah, for sure. Uh, gold and white were easy enough. Yeah. They were pretty broadly reduced in flavor for them. Yeah. You know, then that went with the times. Yeah. Every category is trying to compete with vodka. So yeah. You had, oh, I you mean, know, American whiskey then was all blended. It was or, terrible. Or even, you know, one of them, Brown Foreman, yeah. comes out with a white whiskey where they've taken the coloring out of their whiskey yeah. to compete with vodka, which was a giant, you know, scandal at so the time well. yeah. and didn't work that time. You know, for a long time, nobody brown former would ever want to talk about it because it was so painful. But it was really interesting because they're all, every category is literally trying to turn themselves into vodka. Yeah, they had a light whiskey also in, exactly. the, in the early 70s. Yeah, the same, yeah. The same thing. It was just, you know, nearly flavorless. Right. But uh, we, we've kind of turned the corner on that. And, Absolutely. And uh, now we're seeing more and more oh, flavor. Yeah. And, and suddenly, like... You're getting more rums popping up that are right. are full flavored, and now you can use that in an old fashioned. Yeah. You can use it in like a Manhattan version, you know, or some kind of variation. You could use that in a highball. It's kind of interesting that all these drinks that were usually bigger, brawnier whiskey, yeah. you know, are being replaced fairly regularly on menus, you know. Now, yeah, I mean, yeah, because we're we're, we're starting to see the spectrum again. Yeah. You get some really suave. Uh, sipping rums that you know were in pretty right. short supply. You get the big funky brawling Jamaican oh, ones. You get sure. seriously aged Spanish Caribbean style rums that are complex and smooth and right. and, and full of flavor. It's it's really interesting. It's yeah. a, it's a good time. You're right. We're getting rums from all over. I mean, mm -hmm. it's you know Venezuela, Puerto yeah. Rico. I've got Caribbean, uh, some I mean, rum from Okinawa that I'm right. enjoying quite a bit. Uh, that's yeah. uh, made out of uh, sugarcane juice, yeah. not molasses, so right. it's kind of fresh and green tasting. Yeah. There's also uh, some great rums coming out of southern Mexico, yeah. where they've been making rum since the 1500s, right. 1600s. That just was never for export. Yeah, and now. Uh, some of these country rums are, are coming out and, yeah. you know, like everything uh, from Mexico, they're interesting. Yeah. You know, they've got their own take on it and their own uh, uh, flavor profile yeah. and, and all that. You and I were both down in Puerto Rico a couple of months ago for Tales of the Cocktail on the Road. One of the big bars there is Jungle Bird and the same people who own La Factoria and, you know, obviously yeah, yeah. award winning. But even, I mean, Jungle Bird is is named for a famous cocktail. And yeah. even that now, I mean, there's now a bar called Jungle Bird in New York, not far from where we're sitting. <laughs> you know, and that cocktail yeah. is showing up again on, on menus and we're seeing kind of... And that one is such a odd, uh, <laughs> odd story because it was from the Kuala Lumpur Hilton. Wow. And it was in this book from the 90s, John Poyster's New Bartender's Guide which is the kind of book that no drink professional ever picks up. It was, you know, a big fat, here's a thousand recipes for your home mixology delectation type book. Right. And uh, Jeff Berry spots this weird 
tiki drink in there with Campari and Jamaican rum and right. pineapple juice. And, and Jeff is like, what the hell is this doing right. in here? This is actually interesting. Right. And it's from the Kuala Lumpur Hilton. And it turns out I, I did a little research and I found an ad for the bar there. It was called the Aviary Bar. Which is already funny right. because now we've got an aviary bar <laughs> that's much more elaborate. But this thing had birds flying around in the bar. They, that sounds pretty fun. To it me. sounds pretty fun, yeah. And this was their signature drink right. was was the Jungle Bird at the Kuala Lumpur Too Hilton's funny. aviary bar in the nineteen seventies nineteen eighties. Yeah, and uh, and it somehow found its way into this Weird. sweep up all the recipes right. I can find book. And then from there, uh, it, huh. it, uh, it reached our friend Jeff Berry, who, who repurposed it into a modern tiki drink. And now it's a classic. Next time I'm at his bar, Latitude 29 in New Orleans, definitely. Or it would never occur to me to order the Jungle Bird there. But now, I next time I'm yeah, there. Yeah, I forgot. I uh, next time, yeah, yeah. Next time we're there, we definitely we will have Jungle Bird. We were, <laughs> but I, you know, I've, I've had many a good cocktail down there, but never at the Jungle Bird. Well, I was there. drinking the uh, USS Wandrich Punch. Right, so. Exactly. You have to. I, I have mean, to. You have to. I mean, I mean it's, it, if it's on the menu, I guess. It's your namesake. Um, yeah. It served out of a giant cannon, from what I remember. <laughs> it just blasted across the dining room. Exactly. Into your exactly. Glass. You have modern drinks. You have things like, you know, the, the Presidente that we were talking about, which, you know, is kind of a funky rum drink that, you know, calls for grenadine and, you know. And, and, and needs like and, blanc vermouth. Right. You and, know, but it's. Curacao. And, yeah, you know, and it's totally delicious. Yeah. Though. But it's, I mean, it's a yeah. funny, and I've now even seen ones where people are kind of bridging, you know, whiskey drinks and rum drinks, where it's yeah. like a half Manhattan, half Presidente, where it's sweet vermouth and like, you know, maybe the Curacao and the Grenadine yeah, yeah. have been dialed down. Yeah. So it's almost like this weird kind of combination, you know, where, you know, you're getting influences from both sides. And, you know, we've got also all the, all the modern tiki bars of which oh my God. there are, is a huge renaissance yeah. with uh, tons and tons of creative drinks. Uh, some of them, you know, in the old tiki mold, but some of them decidedly modern yeah. with uh, all kinds of like homemade nut milks in them yeah. and things like that. It's a, what, it's very interesting. I mean, I guess the, the most famous, like, obviously, Smuggler's Cove on yeah. in San Francisco with yeah. Martin Cade, his bar, which mm -hmm. is sort of, I guess, straddles modern and classic yeah. tiki. And then you have a but lot. You've got, like, Lost Lake in oh, Chicago, yeah, which yeah. is maybe a little more on the in between modern tiki and neighborhood yeah. tiki, which is a crazy combination. And what, Three Dots and Dash is also there, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's weird that, I mean, we talked about this, I think, in the episode about Trump and you know killing New York's tiki movement yeah, by that was, closing that was Trader Vic's in the plaza. You moment not... of silence. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, it's too tacky. That's what he said. It was too yeah, tacky. I know. God. I know. Um, <laughs> they, dude. But, uh, yeah, I, we'll just leave that there. Leave um, that there. It's an interesting episode. You can yeah. uh, listen to it if you haven't. You know, it is interesting that Chicago has become, you know, one of the sort of bastions of the tiki movement. Well, I mean, I whenever I think of the tropics, I think of Chicago. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think you made the point before that it's just so damn cold there. Mm -hmm. that... A bunch of places in the upper Midwest are very big on tiki, though. Uh, I mean, Cleveland's got, a, got yeah. a couple great tiki bars. Even Pittsburgh. I mean, I don't know what part of the country Pittsburgh is. <laughs> Other than Pittsburgh. I mean, I was born there, right. and I still don't know. Uh, they've got a fabulous tiki bar. and It's, it's on the water, right? I mean, it's yeah, on three rivers, yeah, yeah, so three, it's, that's, it's tropical. That's three, it's, three rivers equals, like, one lagoon. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> you can it's, trade them in. Sure, there's the yeah. water view. You yeah. Know, so. yeah, exactly. 
And we have a special guest that we're going to be calling in a moment, uh, Juan Coronado, the category Rome ambassador for Cordy. We have pretty good jobs, but I think his job is even better where he is literally traveling uh, everywhere everywhere on uh, the rum route around the world. That's not so bad. Tasting uh, cocktails and educating people about He um, probably gets a lot rum. of upgrades. Absolutely. <laughs> I would hope so. He has also has been a bartender in New York for a long time and... Uh, Worked with Chef Jose Andreas as his cocktail innovator for uh, his Think Food group. So uh, if anybody should know about new cocktails, it is one. Hello, Noah and David. Thank you for joining us. Dave and I have been talking about, you know, rum and the evolution, a little bit of rum cocktails. And your job is basically traveling the world drinking rum cocktails. We thought who better to talk to about some of the different types of things that you've seen and how rum cocktails are changing. It's a fantastic topic because geographically you can have access to rum from all over the world. So of course, rum has to be that spirit that is the go-to when it comes to bartenders using ingredients that are native to their regions. Uh, let's say if you're in the Philippines, of course, you know, calamansi is available there and calamansi and rum are amazing. If you're in the Caribbean, of course, you got sour stab and you got all the fruits and mangoes, avocados, pineapples, sapotes, and different ones. And rum is a go-to spirit because it's available there. So all the way from Mexico down to the, the Asia, it's available, quite available. In the case of the new things that I've seen, been seeing, um, we kind of like are ending the heavy wave of uh, tiki that. And uh, we're seeing cocktails that are way more delicate and more interesting. During Tales, we uh, compile a couple of those cocktails, and we we have cocktails that use um, avocado leaf and avocado chit in it. Uh, we have cocktails that use uve to infuse um, coconut milk, you know, uve, the uh, potato. Uh, the cocktails were, like, beautiful, elegant, delicate, and, you know, very aromatic. There was a gentleman using also uh, galanga in a cocktail with white rum. That was astonishing. A little bit of galanga goes like miles, you know, it's a distinguished flavor. Yeah, it's, it's pungent. <laughs> yeah, it is. But like, you know, the right amount of it with the right citrus, it was like, wow, delicate and going through, you know? What is that? It's galanga. It's uh... like a ginger. Yeah. But aromatic. You mm. use it a lot and in Thai food, delicious. I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. In Thai food, yeah. Um, I did a cocktail um, for one of my new places uh, with uh, Betty Bear using an Añejo rum, and it is amazing. It feels like you took a, a perfume and you put it in a barrel for quite some time, you know? Uh-huh. No, that's so interesting. Quite nice. Yeah, I like, I like the flavor of that Betty Bear. Um, in another one of my cocktails, I use Palo Santo. Oh, yeah. You guys know what Palo Santo is? Exactly. Yeah. The same like little sticks that we burn to like scare away the, the the bad spirits on a new business, you know, bring a good karma and prosperity, which is a Caribbean, Dominican, Cuban thing. I use it on a cocktail. So what I do is I just toast it a little bit and boil it. Then after I make a syrup out of that, you know, water extra extract. And it's quite beautiful and delicious. So rum is like no longer being that secondary like spirit that is like, okay, rum and pineapple, yeah, rum and coconut, yeah, mm-hmm. rum, lime juice, sugar, yeah. And that was pretty much like the mentality that I grew up with, you know, sure. like, oh, rum, oh, you have a pineapple, you have a lime. That, immediately, <laughs> that's my call. I grew up on that. But now like, wow, hey, you can do more things with it. 
Do you see a, a new generation of really simple drinks like that kind of coming in to uh, supplement the Cuba Libra and the, the, you know, the rum and coconut water and things like that? When you're traveling around, have you noticed any of these sort of, uh, you know, popular level drinks that are, that are making waves with rum? Yeah, you know, I will totally say that there, there's something brewing. There's like the opportunity of rum showcasing mixability, showcasing uh, the style of rum into a cocktail. I see that like definitely happening. And I'm, by no means I'm saying that the Cuba Libre is going to disappear. But in the other hand, you get to see a more creative way of Cuba Libre mm-hmm. cocktails that are coming in. You see Cuba Libre with little violets with, you know, mm-hmm. With things like that, and you know, it's enhancing the cola, so it's quite nice. Yeah, I had one that had tonka nut in it, and that was delicious. But we can see like a change on it, like let's make this nicer, or let's bring in some more meaning, or this is our version of it. But rum is definitely playing that you know, role in which, like, eh, your jeans, you got your vodkas, and rum is playing between vodka, gin, and whiskey. Somehow, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking back on like 20 years ago when the craft cocktail thing was new. Rum wasn't really uh, used so much. It was mostly like gin drinks and uh, things like that. Uh, gin and whiskey. So yeah. it's, it's fun to see rum stepping in. Yeah. You know, to, to your own words that you say was quite key. You know, you basically say that rum was basically the spirit of the resource of your vacations and it came from the vacation i was working on a full-time bar right i agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think now that the kind of rum innovations are coming from america and going around the rest of the world or do you think that you know the caribbean is still driving you know rum cocktail development you know rum definitely gets defined by the largest region of consumers. I believe, for example, the United States, he consumes a lot of rum. We are largest consumers of it, and our palates tend to change from here and there. If we take it fast, and then we want a different flavor, we want something lighter, we want something sweeter. We've seen it all, you know? Yeah. Like adding a little bit more sugar now to rum blenders is like what customers are like being drive through, and they think, you know, in their heads like oh this is a good one it's sweet yeah. and not necessarily you know in the 70s there was zero dosage and those runs it was like the pure succulent like slightly sweetness of the aguardiente that mm-hmm. affect these rums you know consumers definitely have the last word into this we in the caribbean we're always going to make rums but you know we're going to drink them yes we're going to drink them slowly but we gotta like make rums for those that are like drinking it so Definitely, consumers have to have the last word when it comes to rum styles and, and what's going to be the next thing. I mean, I see them drinking a, a much wider variety of styles right now. And you even see that in the Bacardi portfolio as it keeps expanding and, uh, and, and adding other newer or different brands of rum to, it, to its portfolio. Do you think that's going to continue? Absolutely. That has to continue, you know, and that's the beauty of rums. Um, every country may have a different style or a different flavor or a different way of doing things but at the end of the day it's that um fingerprint that is within the consumer's palate that makes it relevant oh i went on vacation in jamaica i have this rum and it was a little like funky and i love it and it reminds me of these good times 
And then you come back home and like, oh, you see the rum, you're going to follow the rum. You go to Puerto Rico, you had a great time. I love the style of Puerto Rican rums. You go to Guyana, it's a whole different story, you know, but thank God, you know, rum brands are finally putting a lot of like effort into educating bartenders and consumers. Back in the day, there was a one or two calls in the bar. Give me this rum and that. Now they're like, oh, do you think you have a rum that is a little drier for this or rum that, you know, can I drink it needs? Can you, what do you recommend on an old fashioned? So bartenders get to understand how these rums are made. They get to like suggest to the guests what will be a good call for this cocktail. We've seen uh, the old fashioned kind of, you know, get super popular once again, you know, in New York and around America. Um, do you think that, you know, the rum version seems to be catching fire recently? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. do you think that, you know, is that is that something isolated, uh, you know, New York or is that like across the country or, or around the world where, where you're traveling? That is an around the world thing. You know, it is. It is. I've, I recently was in the Netherlands and went to also to Brussels and went to two different bars. And I saw definitely, the, you know, bartenders are like letting the rum flourish. Rum is mixable, it's nice, it blends in well, but they're adding their special touch to their old fashions mm. and it impacts the flavor of it. It really changes what they do, you know? Their artistry of making the old fashioned cocktail with whatever, like, you know, bitters they might want to use or sweeteners or, yeah. or perhaps a little oil or something, it impacts and changes the flavor, but it always tends to be a good cocktail, you know? Rum, you know, is very versatile when it comes to that particular cocktail too. I think it, it might be the signature drink for all, for, for all the new rums that we're seeing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like the old-fashioned is, is, is number one. Just like the daiquiri is sort of the signature drink for some of the older-style ones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the daiquiri definitely is the test yeah. for any white rum. And the old-fashioned is becoming that too. If you want to taste that old-fashioned. Yeah, especially you know, for dark rums, I think. That rum's exactly, that's what I meant, yeah. Do you think that the rum and Coke will ever be, you know, eclipsed by a different, you know, rum drink, or, or is it always be the king? It depends, you know, because, like, you're seeing less rum and Cokes and Bacardi and Cokes every year in the United States. But in Spain, it's all about Cubata, you know, Cuba Libre, or Las Vegas, I think the... I think that gin tonic is having a challenge nowadays. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, especially right now in the summer, it's like yeah. everybody gravitates to Cuba Libres and Roman Coke. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, but in the United States, definitely we we see a little like decline on it a little bit in craft cocktail bars, especially. I would say in commercial bars or like you know big um, accounts. I think the impact is as heavy because people just go for it and that's what they drink and that's what they like you know yeah well thank you so much juan for for joining us today uh thank you uh for calling in from your uh, rum travels thanks juan thank you guys for having me behind the bars all right <laughs> cheers